Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. BC's Big Chill. This cold in Clearwater this morning. The Arctic outflow freezing much of the province and fear for the most vulnerable. It's heartbreaking to have to say, you know, there's no space for you anywhere. The post-Christmas COVID count. And so now we're going into the month of January where, where we've blown the records for the number of cases so far. Omicron's explosive growth and why official numbers won't tell the whole story and a travel test with surprising results. My husband got his certificate, which was very strange because he didn't actually show up for a test. Why this clinic has some explaining to do. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We'll have those stories and more in just a moment. But we begin with the exploding COVID-19 situation in our country and our province. Let's have a look at the preliminary case numbers for BC from over the holiday weekend. We have 6,288 new cases since Christmas Eve. There were 2,552 cases between Friday and Saturday, which is another new high. Just over 2,000 cases between Saturday and Sunday and 1,713 cases between Sunday and Monday. And that all brings our total since testing began to nearly 242,000. Now, while we did not receive numbers on deaths or hospitalizations, we did get a breakdown of the new cases by health authority. And as you can see, the hotspots are in Fraser Health, Vancouver Coastal and Island Health. Well, after a holiday weekend of potential super spreader events and another daily case record smashed, the seven-day average of new cases is soaring in B.C. Richard Zussman has more, including why experts say the full picture on Christmas COVID transmission won't be immediately clear. COVID crush. We've seen really strong signs of very rapid transmission of Omicron in the province. On Saturday, another record, 2,552 new COVID-19 cases in the province. The numbers going down Sunday and Monday, only telling part of the picture, with not everyone getting tested. It means is that we won't be seeing the rise in case numbers that we would have reported if we hadn't hit that testing capacity. So I think, unfortunately, it'll be a struggle to interpret the data in the coming days and maybe coming weeks. It was cold. Some testing centers were closed because it was too cold. And we know, who wants to spend their holidays in a five-hour line while getting tested for COVID? Even with testing capacity maxed out and people younger than 65 being asked largely not to get a COVID test, the seven-day average continues to soar. A week ago, BC had 834 new cases a day. Now it's 1,937. This includes Fraser Health recording 3,181 test positives Monday, Coastal 1,482, the Interior 713, Northern Health 174, the Island 737, and one case of someone residing outside of Canada. The province did not provide updated numbers on hospitalizations or deaths. 
I think we should already be worried in the sense that just the sheer numbers of infections will potentially lead people with complications, other people, regular people. We don't really know what the severity is going to be like. The guidance continues to be to stay home when not feeling well and keep groups small. Experts cautioning things will get worse before they get better. Now, this isn't going to spoil our whole year. It's going to spoil January for sure and, maybe, and probably part of February. Masking, also crucial. A cloth mask works, especially if it fits, but the guidance is changing. If you're in a higher density area, the recommendation now is to wear a medical mask. And if you have access to it, a KN95 reduces transmission even further. Every little thing we do will um, help reduce our personal risk and reduce the um, burden on the hospitals. And that includes throwing out all of those ill-fitting masks, making sure that a mask fits tightly. And you can kind of feel a little bit of the vacuum going in and out as you breathe. The province not expected to release full COVID-19 numbers until Wednesday. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, despite the rise of the Omicron variant, schools are planning for in-person learning in the new year. The Ministry of Education says schools will return with enhanced safety measures. Officials met today and are expected to finalize directions to schools on Wednesday. One of the measures is expected to be the use of rapid testing. 500,000 tests are to be set aside for K-12 schools when they arrive in January. UBC has already announced most of its classes will return online until January 24th. All right, now to that bitter cold sweeping the province. Temperature records have been falling across B.C. during a rare midwinter cold snap. And while the bone-chilling temperatures are putting vulnerable populations at risk, some people are embracing the winter weather. Kamal Karmali is in Abbotsford tonight, where the winds have made for some pretty miserable conditions. Kamal. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you who's not embracing uh, these conditions are drivers. The combination of snow and then extreme cold creating disastrous driving conditions. Let me show you uh, the this stretch behind me here so you can see the snow has fallen, then cars have compacted that snow, and then the extreme cold has just created this sheet of ice here and you can see combine that by with the uh, uh, the slope here and it's just a terrible recipe for disaster here so we've seen a lot of vehicles slip and slide through here and as you mentioned it just seems like yesterday we were actually celebrating the snowfall it didn't take long for awe-inspiring beauty we want a white christmas and it's really nice to turn into back-breaking labor this is bad Really bad. Longtime Abbotsford resident Paul Esposito says the snowfall followed by extreme cold temperatures. Worst combination of things. Has made shoveling an absolute nightmare. With the hopes that as the snow falls, it'll melt and then it freezes and then you got ice, then you got snow, then you got traffic, then you got people traffic. Much of that people traffic only risking short trips before retreating back home. Look at where you're walking. Yeah, it's, it's slippery. It's slippery for sure. Slippery enough for the white powder to cause some white-knuckled driving. Abbotsford police tallying at least a dozen collisions Sunday. A lot of them are people just kind of going off-road, uh, visibility, wind gusts, things like that. 
ice flows forming over the Fraser River near Mission, with some parts solid enough to walk on. In fact, Environment Canada stamped much of the province with extreme cold or Arctic flow warnings Monday, and at 4 a.m. you could see why. Near record-breaking wind chill throughout B.C., including minus 45 in Prince George. Fast forward to late afternoon, and things aren't much warmer. Wind chill values still at the minus 20s and 30s in parts of the province. This cold in Clearwater this morning. Cold enough for Clearwater's mayor to turn boiling water into vapor. In Victoria, the icy temperatures bringing in some warmth for the holidays. Just having some outdoor rink fun with my son. The mood here, more fun, less frantic. Never, ever seen this before. This is amazing. But for the province's most vulnerable, these freezing temperatures have them fighting for their lives. With few shelter beds remaining, many are being turned away, left to fend for themselves. It's heartbreaking to have to say, you know, there's no space for you anywhere. And it's also been so cold that at least two immunization and testing centers have had to close early because of this extreme cold temperatures. We know the ones at BCIT and the Coquitlam KPU COVID-19 testing and immunization centers have had to reduce their services and close their doors at 3 p.m. So they were letting the public know that if you had uh, an appointment after 3 p.m. Uh, that uh, you can come earlier and they would honor the appointment or to go to another alternative uh, location for the testing or immunization. But as you can imagine, uh, Sophie, because there's been such a backlog and long waits for these testing uh, that you can imagine a lot of people weren't really happy about those centers closing down early. Mm -hmm. Back over to you. I would think. All right, thanks for that, Kamal Karmali in Abbotsford for us. And, of course, meteorologist Christy Gordon will have full details on this cold snap and what to expect a little later tonight. Well, navigating Vancouver's snowy and icy sidewalks has been a challenge over the holiday weekend for pedestrians. Once again, many bike routes were cleared out while the walking paths right beside them remained covered. As Grace Key reports, that's despite the city updating its snow response policy last spring to deal with this very issue. When taking a stroll along Vancouver's Coal Harbour, you'll come across a few rule breakers who are hopping over to the bike lane instead of staying on the pedestrian walkway. Why are you using the bike path? Because, because it's salted. Yeah, and they haven't because, Tell me that. It's salted. It's dry, isn't it? Yes. yes. Yeah. They salt here before they salt walking. Yes. That's our story today. Yeah. Oh, is it? Oh, good. Good. We've been complaining about it for years. Yeah. <laughs> this is the bike path on the left and the pedestrian on the right. Vancouver City Councilor Sarah Kirby-Young brought forward a motion last year for snow removal improvements with recommendations from staff. They brought back recommendations that included establishing winter priority sidewalks and a commitment to ensuring that pedestrian priority routes that were next to bike routes would be cleared um, at the same time. So that should have happened with this snowfall and unfortunately it didn't. Vancouver Park Board Commissioner Trisha Barker tweeted out some pictures, adding, I thought we had decided that pedestrian walks would be cleared before bike lanes. This is a safety issue, and so far I've seen lots of people walking and not one bike. I don't know who failed on it, but I think we should make sure that we're doing exactly what we say we're going to do. And if we're going to be putting pedestrians at the top, we have to be doing that. I had been in touch with city staff to ensure that we were ready for our snow removal plan. I was told that we were. Um, and I expressed concern about pedestrians, unfortunately. 
uh, despite the policy being updated and there being training, uh, there was just a, a, a miss in service this time. And so I spoke with city staff and I'm told that uh, they're going to do a briefing for our city crews. Um, they're going to do some remedial work to go back and clear those pathways that were not cleared. It looks like city crews were back at the Arbutus Greenway to clear the snow on both lanes. Grace Key, Global News. All right, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon now with more details on just how cold it'll get tonight. Christy. Well, Sophie, thankfully, it's not going to be as cold as what it was last night. Last night, we broke 21 records across the province. That's the second day in the row that we've had record low temperatures. Uh, tonight, though, we are still going to be very cold, and this cold is here to stay right through to the weekend. Here's a look, though. So we're talking about minus 9, minus 10 for Metro Vancouver. Out through the Fraser Valley, you may see conditions approach minus 15. In through the interior, we're still talking about minus 20, minus 25, but for for coastal regions, the biggest concern tonight is the fact that we are going to continue to see this Arctic outflow, meaning with the wind chill, we'll likely see minus 20 conditions in a lot of the regions, and that extends right out to Vancouver Island areas like Nanaimo. When I come back, we'll show you the areas that broke records. We'll also show you how cold it got last night. Some areas saw wind chills of minus 47, and I'll show you which. Yikes. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. Well, frigid temperatures in West Kelowna made for a challenging firefight. That fire broke out Boxing Day in a home on Menu Road. The house was newly constructed and it's believed the fire was burning inside the walls before rapidly spreading to other areas. No one was injured, but a bus was brought in to help keep firefighters warm in the minus 25 degree weather. Pretty tough. It's minus 23 last night. Our crews, uh, you know, were trying to rotate guys out. We had. Uh, we want to thank BC Transit for sending a bus down for us to keep our guys warm. We were rotating crews. Uh, yeah, real challenging fire in this kind of temperature. Not only was the fire stubborn and moving throughout the building, but also the, the temperatures uh, that we experienced challenged firefighters. Uh, we needed to use lots of water, and that water froze uh, on contact all over the, the roadways, the house, the firefighters themselves. It was a big challenge. Now, we have just received word that a fire you may have noticed burning in Burnaby is actually a controlled burn, but it is quite the sight to see. This is a live shot from one of our tower cams. It's on the right of your screen showing flames at the Parkland Refinery off Penzance Drive. Burnaby fire crews say the open flames uh, people can see in the area are not a concern. This controlled burn has actually been underway now for several hours. RCMP are investigating a Boxing Day homicide in Seventy Mile House. Police were called to the community at around 11.30 Sunday morning. They found a 52-year-old man suffering critical injuries in a home on Kamori Road. A 62-year-old man was arrested at the scene and released pending further investigation. Police say the two men knew each other and they say there is no risk to the public. Meanwhile, Mounties in Prince George are seeking witnesses and video surveillance in a Christmas Day homicide. What began as a complaint about a fire at a home in the 600 block of Burden Street quickly escalated into a fatal arson. Human remains were discovered inside the residence, which is well known to police. Prince George RCMP's Serious Crimes Unit is investigating. Police say this was a targeted incident and the public is not at risk. A desperate search is underway for a woman missing for a week now. Crystal Flynn was last seen at UBC Hospital out for a walk with a staff member. She hasn't been seen since. Why her family is demanding answers from health officials next on the News Hour.
Lytton lost. A look back at the devastating fire that took the town and what lies ahead for the long road to recovery later on the news hour. Also tonight with Omicron surging, how your cloth mask may not cut it any longer. Right now, though, a snowboarder has been found dead in the backcountry, a big white ski resort after going missing and spending the night in the freezing outdoors. Just after five last night, police received a report of a missing border. A 42-year-old Kelowna man was last seen at one o'clock at the Gem Chairlift. He was heading up for his last run of the day. North Shore Rescue was called in to help Central Okanagan Search and Rescue. A helicopter search last night had to be called off because of bad weather and poor visibility. Penticton and Vernon teams took over to aid COSAR this morning at first light. Conditions in the backcountry area were dangerous, the snowpack unstable and prone to avalanche, and the man's body was found late this morning. A desperate search is underway for a woman who's gone missing from a psychiatric facility at UBC Hospital. As Rumina Dea reports, Crystal Flynn hasn't been seen for a week now, and her family is growing more concerned as record cold temperatures grip the region. Seven days. Still no trace of Ben Flynn's missing sister, Crystal. Honestly, I don't have a good feeling about it. It's really cold out, right? There's a lot of wooded area around here and not being in your right state of mind. She didn't have anything. Crystal has schizophrenia. The 38-year-old is a patient at the psychiatric facility at UBC Hospital. RCMP tell Global News Crystal was on a supervised walk with two other patients December 20th when she took off from the group. She was last seen running northbound on Westbrook Mall, making a left on University Boulevard around 1 p.m. He said there's nothing they could do. They just let her run. Crystal's mother says she spoke to the hospital worker who last saw her daughter. She was screaming that it's a dangerous facility and it's not a good place and she had to get out of there she had to go the family tells us the hospital did not notify them that crystal was missing the first call they received was from the rcmp the mounties put out a missing persons release december 24th that's four days after crystal vanished i had one on that door and inside they took them both down Making the situation worse, the missing persons posters at the hospital were removed while we were there. Can you move, please? Security telling us no filming on property. Vancouver Coastal Health did not respond to us by deadline. I just feel like she's slipped through the healthcare system, right? Just wanting to know that she's safe and okay it's, has everybody worrying, right? Especially my mother. RCMP say they worked with police from across the Lower Mainland. They went public after hospital, shelter and family and friend checks turned up nothing. Crystal, not dressed for the freezing temperatures. No medication, no phone, no bank card, no way to track her. So that's why I'm seeking the public's help. If anybody's seen her, please, please call my mom or call the RCMP. I want to wish the best and hope the best, but... I really don't know. Romina Dea, Global News. Alberta RCMP are searching for a three-year-old boy believed to have been abducted by his father. And the pair may be en route to our province. RCMP were alerted to the alleged abduction of Elijah Nihus on Christmas Eve. The boy's father, 35-year-old Malin Nihus, was supposed to return Elijah to his mother by 3 p.m. 
Police do not believe the boy is in danger, so they have not issued an Amber Alert. Nihus is wanted for abduction and contravening a custody order. RCMP believe he and Elijah, who were last seen in Red Deer late Christmas Eve, may be traveling to southern Alberta or possibly into B.C. Nihus may be driving an older model 2007 white Pontiac Grand Prix with B.C. license plate LRO91K. A Coquitlam man passes his COVID test with flying colors. Just one catch, he wasn't actually there for it. And the test showed that he was negative. The surprising results raising concerns about accuracy just ahead. Plus, new guidance from the U.S. about how long you need to isolate if you have COVID-19. Clinic Mixup is raising questions about the reliability of private COVID testing. A Coquitlam man received notification from a travel clinic that he was clear to fly. This even though he didn't actually show up for his test as he had tested positive elsewhere days before. Catherine Urquhart picks up the story. Las Vegas was all booked. Then a positive COVID test ended plans for one Coquitlam family. Now they're seriously questioning the accuracy of tests done by a private company. If we were any other people, we might have got on that flight and then you're going to infect the entire flight. Last week, Sarah Gold's husband, Gord Swale, had a positive PCR test and the trip was off. The rest of the family went ahead with antigen tests at Bon Voyage Medical in Coquitlam, as the $100 test per person had already been paid for. Fortunately, everyone was negative, but they were stunned to get a result for Gord, who was at home isolating and never even took the antigen test. Last night around 10 p.m., my husband got his certificate, which was very strange because he didn't actually show up for a test and he had COVID and the test showed that he was negative. Sarah Gold believes there should be an investigation, especially as Bon Voyage told her they had performed nearly 800 tests that one day. Someone doesn't show up for a test and then they get a negative test when they're actually got COVID. That's unbelievable, actually. That trip to Sin City is now tentatively planned for 2022, when it will hopefully be safer to travel. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And we have reached out to Bon Voyage Medical for comment, but have not yet heard back from them. Coming up, upping your mask game. Got a, a nose clip here. And you notice that as I'm breathing, it's going in and out. Which face coverings will best protect you from the highly infectious Omicron variant? And later in sports, the Canucks ready to go after that longer than expected COVID break. matters tonight. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control is shortening the recommended isolation period for people who have COVID-19 but are asymptomatic. It will now be five days instead of 10, and it is to be followed by five days of mask wearing when around other people. 
The change is motivated by science showing the majority of transmission occurs early in the course of the illness. And the CDC is also changing the recommendations around quarantine for vaccinated people who were exposed to the disease to five days as well. Well, many of the least vaccinated countries in the world have seen COVID-19 infection rates rise dramatically this month. They include the Democratic Republic of Congo. The nation of 90 million people is recording record daily case numbers. The official infection rate is still far below that of rich nations, but that's probably due to limited testing. One clinic in the capital, Kinshasa, says admissions increased sixfold in six days. Less than one-third of one percent of people in the country have received a vaccine dose. Advocates for vaccine equity say variants like Omicron will continue to appear as long as the virus spreads among unvaccinated populations. I think as Canadians, we need to think about why we're getting this third dose. And it's a result of vaccine hoarding. And it's a result of Canada securing millions of excess doses. We have the boosters to help us you know, combat uh, our risk uh, towards Omicron. But that's not the case also for the next variant to come, which I guarantee will be coming within the next four to six months. Meanwhile, in Israel, 150 hospital staff have been given a fourth COVID-19 vaccine dose. That's part of a trial to see if that could help vulnerable people in the fight against the Omicron variant. Well, we know face coverings are one of those layers of protection against the spread of COVID-19. But as the number of Omicron cases continues to rise, the question is, which masks offer the best protection against this newest variant? Global's Nicole Stilger reports. Through the last 22 months, we've been asked to wear our masks in an effort to keep others safe. Now experts say it's time to up our game. We do need to uh, really think about what masks we should wear to get best protection. Growing evidence suggests COVID-19 is largely spread through aerosols. Dr. Noel Gibney says KN94 and 95 masks offer the best protection against the Omicron variant. I've got a, a nose clip here. And you notice that as I'm breathing, it's going in and out. And so again, that tells you that I've got a good fit. Gibney says surgical and cloth masks on their own are not as effective, but recommends wearing them together. What it does is it it makes you breathe. It brings us much closer to your face. The Public Health Agency of Canada says right now there's no required standard for non-medical masks sold in Canada. But medical masks and respirators need to meet standards for filtration, breathability and fluid resistance. It recommends medical masks be used in part by anyone with symptoms or who has tested positive for COVID-19, those caring for someone who has tested positive or is symptomatic, and people at risk of more severe outcomes. We can reduce the risks of exposure and spreading the virus by improving and maintaining good ventilation and wearing a good quality and snug fitting face mask. A masking message Gibney believes needs to be driven home here in Alberta, as Omicron leaves little room for error. Very little room for error. And, and it's, it, it, it's, it's very challenging because this is just so incredibly infectious. Nicole Stilger, Global News. A curler makes a comeback 90 years after he first picked up a broom. How old am I? I can't remember. <laughs> Just ahead, the centenarian getting back on the ice after all these years. Plus, giving, receiving, and returning. How sending back that unwanted gift is a massive sustainability issue. 
Well, with the boom in online shopping comes a boom in online returns, and that presents a huge challenge when it comes to sustainability and logistics. Now some companies are making it their business to streamline that process. Online purchases have never been a bigger part of the holiday, likely to top 25% of sales. But here's the more startling number. The e-commerce return rate is 25%. One of every four items purchased online is sent back, compared to about 8% for a physical store. And this is what that can look like. Mountains of cardboard and plastic packaging with valuable merchandise inside. You'll see all their returns come back. They pile up, they sit, and it often... Uh, quarterly or twice a year, they might liquidate them for pennies on the dollar uh, or even potentially destroy them. Tobin Moore is the CEO of Optoro, which helps companies solve the problem of a tsunami of returns. This massive warehouse outside Nashville is one of three dozen Optoro uses across the country, processing merchandise for sellers like American Eagle, Target, Bed Bath & Beyond, and others. Workers use Optoro's software to check in the merchandise, ensuring a refund then relisting the product for a new sale. These items will never go back to the retailer's warehouse. They're held here until sold again. In Houston, Abby McDonald used Happy Returns, a service that collects customers' unwanted goods for hundreds of companies that sold them. It's postage and box-free. A QR code is all you need. It's close to my office, which made it easy to, to pop out at lunch and drop it off here for free. Paper source locations like this are among 3,800 collection points nationwide, an average of 20 returns from multiple sellers shipped in a single box, reducing waste and expediting turnaround time. And it increases foot traffic for the store collecting the goods. The clothing store Everlane takes more than 70% of its unwanted items back through happy returns. The speed and the efficiency with which we can get the product back on the shelf and available for another customer is really integral to our overall business model. It obviously impacts our sales and our revenue. And the environment. Almost 6 billion tons of returned items will end up in landfills after the holiday season. Our technology connects every returned item, no matter the condition, to its next best home as efficiently as possible. Minimizing shipments and getting that product back into stock quickly. A win for buyer, seller, and the planet. Janet Shamley and CBS News, Lebanon, Tennessee. All right, uh, let's bring Christy Gordon back in with more on our uh, chilly, chilly weather. And you were mentioning minus 47 somewhere, Christy. Yes, so I'm going to show you which areas could hit my, or saw minus 47 with the wind chill last night. Uh, so if you just want to mention, we are seeing a few flurries right now, but overall, we're not expecting significant snow until potentially Wednesday night. So a couple of days away, really, it's the cold that we're concerned about. I just want to show you this video that came out of the Okanagan Lake area from uh, the Vernon uh, region. Um, this is a sea smoke, or some people call it, um, uh, sorry, steam fog. Basically, it's when you get a very cold, dry air mass over top of a warmer body of water, you get this basically steam that forms. And there were strong winds in through that region. So really blowing in that area looks quite quite uh, incredible, actually. Uh, so records, 21 record, records broken across the province. These were the top uh, ones. Clinton dropping down to minus 35.8 degrees. And that is without the wind chill. So that's a regular temperature. And some of these areas breaking uh, records by a 
good 10 degrees. So quite exceptional, that's for sure. Even at YVR, we broke a record, record bro dropping down. It's too cold out here. My lips are frozen. Dropping down to minus 15.3 degrees. Um, typically, we would only be at zero. So we're talking about below um, normal by a good 15 degrees in a lot of areas. Here's a look at the wind chills from last night. We're talking about minus 47 with the wind chill. Tonight will not be as cold. In fact, the Arctic... Um, the uh, cold, extreme cold warnings have ended for the interior regions. I'll show you the warnings in a second, but I just wanted to show you how extreme it is. Meanwhile, we're dealing with extreme cold. Uh, uh, Alaska region saw record-breaking warmth. This is going to break down. This pattern comes the weekend, but we're still talking about a good four to five days of this cold. So there's your forecast for tomorrow. These are the daytime highs that you can see. We're talking about minus teens and through the interior, and for the south coast, minus five compared Comparison-wise, today we're at minus 9, minus 10. So that will be a significant improvement tomorrow. Again, no significant snowfall in the forecast until potentially Wednesday night, Sophie. At that point, we'll have a better idea of how much we're talking about. And tonight's central windows weather window is coming out uh, to us, also from the Okanagan Lake area. Brad Kirk sending this to uh, Chris Galas, actually. And it looked like there were sort of some tornadoes that were created from this sea smoke or what you call steam fog. Uh, over the uh, lake there because the winds were so strong today. Back to you. All right. Thanks, Christy. Well, our next story proves you are never too old to pursue your passion. As Global's John Sexsmith reports, an Edmonton centenarian is back on the ice, broom in hand, with a little help from his friends. Ross Tate recently started rocking again. He actually grew up in an era when jazz was king. But Ross never lost his passion for the roaring game. I love curling. He was born in 1920. Walk up to the 100 gear and give it a good shove. There we go. Began curling at the age of 12. That was when people, the uh, older people started figuring that the young people should be starting. And the retired surveyor always kept his sights on the sport. Nowadays, curlers are no, there's no age limit to them. Last spring, while watching the briar, the father of four decided he wanted to hit the pebbled ice for more. We signed him up and we came and saw Rick down here at the Granite Club and we came here for Wednesday League and the first thing he wanted to do was get down in the hack and throw the rocks. That's it. The league is called Sterling Curling and Ross definitely added a golden age glitter. It's amazing being involved in a club that's 100 years old, but to have uh, you know somebody who's older than that actually curling is amazing. He isn't strong enough or flexible enough for a slide delivery anymore, but don't tell Ross that. There's only one way to curl, not to the hack. With the help of his home nurses, the rookie in this lineup is learning how to handle the stick. It's his first time doing it, and he's doing really well. I can't wait to see what he's going to be like in 10 or 20 years from now when he's really got some of it under his belt. <laughs> There's only one Ross Tate, and I hope he sticks around for a long time yet. How old are you? How old am I? I can't remember. I'm 101, I think. What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> a curler. Good for him. 
All right, Squire Barnes is here. What do you have coming up? Well, the uh, Canucks, because of all those extra practices, have uh, gotten to know, gotten to know, I should say, Bruce Boudreaux more, and they continue to like what they see. Like you know, we're six now, so you know it's been uh, it's been a good uh, good few weeks here with them. I guess so. They're hoping to play on Wednesday. They haven't played since December 16th, but of course they're still unbeaten under Bruce. Hopefully they stay that way. And later, the day Lytton was lost in a year full of crises, one that devastated an entire community. All right, Squire, almost the return of the Canucks. Well, let's hope it's Wednesday because we've had to wait a while. It's mm-hmm. been five games. They've had five games postponed. So actually, I guess they've been able to enjoy their unbeaten streak under Bruce Boudreaux longer than normal. They haven't played actually since beating San Jose on December 16th. They've been practicing. They're supposed to play, as we said, Wednesday in Anaheim. And their team's COVID outbreak has ended. So that is good. With the NHL set to resume play on Tuesday and the Vancouver Canucks still scheduled to play in Anaheim on Wednesday, it's full steam ahead for a Canucks squad that's healthy and ready to extend its six-game winning streak. You know, we're on the verge of having um, 15 healthy forwards and seven healthy defense. We're all anxious to go. I mean, uh, right now, I mean, if there's one team in the NHL quite frankly, that is overly cautious about the whole COVID situation would be the Vancouver Canucks from what they went through last year. So I think the players are doing a really good job of um, staying in their own little bubble. Speaking of bubbles, the hockey world has to be wondering if the Canucks is about to burst. Under Bruce Boudreaux's leadership, they've had immediate success, but that all happened a couple weeks ago. That being said, there's just no denying how different this Canucks team is playing following its coaching change. Do you think this team would be playing the way that it is right now and on the winning streak it is if you did not have the coaching change? Uh, I mean, tough question. Um, I, I think Bruce have been, been coming in with a new energy and, and um, it's easy to say now that uh, it was a good change. And, and uh, I mean, we're uh, on a streak here and, and been playing good hockey. You know, it sounds crazy, but when you're losing, you got to try to be positive as well. You know, it's easy to be positive when, when you're winning and everything's going right. So, uh, you know, it's harder to be positive when, uh, you know, you're sliding, but, uh, I think, you know, since he's been here, we won six in a row. So it's really, you can't really say anything bad. Everything's gone pretty well for us, but it's just a test for us to keep it going. We've had a bit of a break, you know, probably we didn't want to miss those two games before Christmas, but we did. So, um, you know, we've had a long layoff here and we just got to be ready to go for the next game. The biggest thing for me is, is for the players, uh, with all this break, not to get complacent and think that, okay, everything's, you know, uh, you know, roses and that, I mean, we're still, uh, at near the bottom of the league. We're still, you know, uh, well out of the, you know, we're not anywhere near uh, getting to in the playoffs yet. So if we're satisfied with what we've done, then, then we're, we're heading for, you know, for disaster. Well, it seems almost poetic that on a frigid, snowy day in Seattle, the Seahawks were finally frozen out of this year's NFL playoffs. They have no chance now with only two games left in the season. And what is most stunning 
is how bad the Seahawks have been at home this year. Two and five at Lumen Field. And losing to a team like the Bears at home was shocking even for this version of the Seahawks. Well, that was about as disappointing a loss as we've had. It was against a Chicago team that had a worse record than they did. And Seattle had a 10-point lead after three quarters. And even when Chicago took the lead late, the Seahawks had time to get back in field goal range. But they could only move the ball nine yards on four plays. Wilson. Incomplete looking for Lockett. Tonight I felt great. You know, I think we, you know, we, we, we felt great as an offense and team. I think that and, and um, we let it squander away from us. And that can't happen, you know, so we'll have to figure that out. But squandering leads has happened before this season. In five of Seattle's ten defeats, they were either leading or tied at halftime. We feel like, you know, I, I feel like we, we, we could at least, you know, had a few more wins early on and then throughout the process, and it's been challenging along the way. And because of what has happened this season, the unthinkable is being discussed by Seahawk fans. Should Seattle trade Russell Wilson and begin a rebuild? Use a Wilson trade to get a first-round draft choice in 2022. They don't have one right now. They traded it to the Jets for Jamal Adams. But the coach thinks no. This is a retool, not a rebuild. We've got our way of doing business, and we have operated for a long time with a real consistent approach and connection and communication and all of that. And that's what I'm really talking about is that, you know, I think you could count on us to, to, to figure it out. Okay, back to you. Thank you, Squire. Up next, the day we lost Lytton and what's ahead for the devastated town. Now on a story we ran earlier this hour, RCMP say the woman who went missing from a UBC psychiatric ward has now been found safe and was returned to the facility. And Crystal Flynn's mother says her daughter is now being checked by medical staff. We are waiting for more information, including where she was found and are hoping to have an update later tonight. Well, as we get closer to closing out 2021, we're looking back at some of the stories we won't forget. June 30th, the day we lost Lytton, and Madagahi arrived in the aftermath of that heartbreaking fire. What was once vibrant is now black ash. Skeleton-like burned buildings and chemically poisonous rubble. This is the present-day village of Lytton, a place now defined by one disastrous day. Oh my God, look at that. But the story of Lytton does not start with fire, instead with heat. I think people are staying out of the sun, which I should probably be getting out of the sun too. For three straight days during an unbearable heat dome, the area set historic Canadian temperature records, topping out at 49.6 degrees Celsius on June 29th. No one could have predicted what was coming. We've got to leave town. The town is on fire. Go! You know, people were running for their lives. Sometime between 4 and 5 on the afternoon of June 30th, a desperate escape would begin. Hundreds running from a fire that within the hour would burn almost the entire community. The store. The store. I looked out 
the door and there's fire everywhere. And my house burnt down right after my daughter picked me up. We've lost all our clothing and all our personal stuff and some irreplaceable things that came from our parents. And it's a very sad day. In the days that followed, evacuees would be scattered throughout the province, staying with family, in hotels, with little communication. Have you heard anything from your dad? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's terrifying because I know he wouldn't, he wouldn't leave. Two people died in the fire. Almost immediately, displaced residents demanded answers to how and why this happened. I just want to see like an inquiry on it, you know, a lot of people's, it's not homes, it's people's lives. Oh, it's the train on fire. The BC Wildfire Service deemed it a human-caused fire, the RCMP still investigating. Many in the community had pointed to heavy rail as the suspected cause, but a Transportation Safety Board investigation could not find the link between the fire and train activity. You have eyewitnesses to the account. Uh, of what started the, the, the fire and you don't interview them, how can you possibly come to the conclusion that you do? The rebuild is slow and proving difficult. It's not entirely known how dangerous it will be to remove what burned. The province only this month announcing concrete help through a million dollar grant for next steps. I know friends and, and others that that have just cried every day. I'd call it PTSD. I'm really easily triggered, the smell of smoke, the sound of a helicopter, anything, a weird-looking cloud. The mayor of Lytton has recently described the re-entry and rebuild of that community as an enormous challenge. The village centre is currently an exclusion zone. It is fenced off, guarded by heavy security. If and when the area can be inhabited again is currently anyone's guess. Amadagahi, Global News. All right, and uh, as we say goodnight, we'll hand oh, no. over to Christy the final word on weather. Is that, was I just hearing a Christmas carol in the background, or was that just my earpiece? I, I didn't hear one. Okay. <laughs> Christy, are you still there? Considering she's outside, I'm she's here. frozen. Can you hear oh. me? Uh, gotcha. All right, final word from you on the weather. <laughs> no, I don't. That's it. Functions tonight, possibly because of the cold, but overall, we are going to see, can see conditions be a little bit warmer than what we saw last night. Still, Arctic outflow warnings. Uh, so, we're talking about wind chills close to minus 20, and tomorrow will warm up to about minus 5, so a touch warmer tomorrow, which is nice for most people. Did you say she was frozen? Well, I, I thought <laughs> she looked like she was frozen in the.